Ah, there we are. Good morning. I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and Schools, Sherman Center. We're in Random Lake, Wisconsin. So glad to have you with us here this morning for our Congregation of Prayer. This is a guide for daily meditation and prayer around God's Word. And uh, it's time for us to continue to prepare for our Lord's Nativity. So we've been working through some of the uh, narratives before the Nativity, including the Annunciation and the Visitation, etc. Uh, and then today, actually, we're going to get to uh, the nativity of our Lord. We'll be doing this for the next few days. All right, I need to make an adjustment here. Apparently, that was not the right thing. And now if I go here, yes, I look correct. And one more thing. There we go. All right, let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right, we say our memory verse for this week. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Psalm 51, verse 5. We say our psalm. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord that he looked down from his holy height, from heaven the Lord looked at the earth, to hear the groans of the prisoners, to set free those who were doomed to die, that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord, and in Jerusalem his praise. When peoples gather together, and kingdoms, to worship the Lord, he has broken my strength in mid-course, he has shortened my days. O my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. All right, our first reading today is from Isaiah chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. 
for you have broken the yoke of his burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There ends the reading. It's worth noting uh, a conversation we had in Bible study on Sunday. We're talking about the source of joy. Where does joy come from? And what is joy? Joy is rejoice is, um, I don't want to say it's rejoicing. That's defining it with the same word. It's the emotional response that we have to the great deeds of God. So it's different than happiness. I like to make a distinction there. Happiness um, is usually in creature comforts, right? But joy comes from, namely from salvation. And you note in verse 3 there, um, joy is mentioned four times in one verse, right? In different ways, right? You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy, right? And how? By removing the the yoke of, of his burden, the staff of the shoulder, the rod of the oppressor, right? And defeating the enemies. They rejoice before you. Why? because he's done those things. According to the joy of harvest. Why? Because God has saved his people and brought in a harvest. Uh, as another analogy for uh, the, the growth of the church. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, right? So again, rejoicing coming as a fruit of God's defeat of the enemies, as he did in the day of Midian. So uh, yeah, we rejoice in response to God's action. Right? It's not something... Um, a joy that you uh, can just generate within yourself, but it's a joy that's given, right? Given through the great deeds of God. So that's also then a joy that nobody can take from you <laughs> because it's accomplished by God and it was accomplished at the cross and no one can undo what God has done there. All right. A reading from Luke chapter 2. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. All right, very familiar reading, of course. Uh, maybe the end of the uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas special, I suppose. <laughs> you know that uh, Charles Schultz had to fight to include the scripture text, and uh, thanks to him, we hear that text. Though, <laughs> well, everyone who watches uh, the Charlie Brown special each year. Uh, here's the gospel according to St. Luke. So thanks be to God for his persistence there. Um, but also, of course, we hear it in church. So um, some questions. What is a census? Right, We have a census mentioned in verse 2 and the registration for the census in verse 1. All right. Make no mistake, the only reason the government wants to know how many people there are 
is to set the tax rates. Okay, so this is for tax purposes. Right? Of course, Mary and Joseph go to pay the tax. Who was Caesar Augustus? Well, it says all the world, so this is the, the Roman emperor, right, who ruled over the known world at the time. Of course, there were other places, but... Why did Mary and Joseph need to go to Bethlehem, as I called it, or Bethlehem, as we say in English? Bait, house of bread, right? Why did they need to go there? Well, this was the city um, of David, right? And so Joseph belonged to the line of David. Also, Mary did, by the way. Um, but Joseph in particular here. So you go to the house, the first, or the head of the household. Uh, you go to the city of his lineage. And it's called Bethlehem, or Bethlehem. Uh, it's called the city of David, I should say. Um, because why? Well, you can guess. I mean, obviously, David ruled somewhere else, Jerusalem. But, for example, Second Samuel. Or First Samuel, I should say. Samuel. Uh, was it First Samuel? Yeah, First Samuel 17, I think is where it's listed. David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse, who had eight sons, and the man was old, advanced in years, in the days of Saul. Right? Of Bethlehem means this was the city of his birth. Okay, I already mentioned uh, what it means. Beit is house, and Lechem is bread, right? So, house of bread. So, that's pretty cool. Um, of course, that makes us think of uh, another Old Testament story that we just read not that long ago from the gospel, not the gospel, excuse me, the Old Testament book of Ruth. Remember Ruth? What did she find in Bethlehem? Bread. Yeah, food. And was redeemed by Boaz there. Of course, that's part of David's lineage. Um, but another story, older story, Genesis 35, Bethlehem is mentioned. And this will come up in our readings in the next couple of days again. And not in a positive sense, unfortunately. Christmas is always a little bittersweet, right? Because I think Jesus is, is the man born to be king, but also the man, then the man born to be king who dies. Right? So even at his birth, we uh, recognize his death, his crucifixion. All right, so, uh, but th there's other ways that this happens. Genesis 35, verse 16, Then they journeyed from Bethel, which is the house of God, by the way, Beit El, you see it there. And when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that a midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have this son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Oni, but his father called him Ben-Hamin, Benjamin, as we say. So, uh, Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. And Jacob set up a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. Right? So we want to remember, that, especially that story of Rachel, because you have, then you have the contrast of, of Rachel, who dies in childbirth, right? and then you have Mary, who of course um, is given life in, in childbirth, in a way, right? because the life of the world is born to her. Um, what do you think is important about the phrase here? Uh, verse 6, right? Uh, the, when her days were completed for her to be delivered. What is, what is, uh, what's that getting after? I mean, obvious, there's the obvious reason, right? 
that she's full term, as we say. Full is uh, probably a good expression. You know, I think my wife Anne has about, what, seven weeks to go, but uh, I'd say she's full. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is not the fun time physically. Um, but think of this, maybe um, from St. Paul, this is also, uh, it's also in Luke's Gospel, throughout Luke's Gospel, but St. Paul says it this way, in Galatians 4, he says, when the fullness of time had come, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Very importantly there. All right, so this is the appointed time. And I love this idea that it's the fullness of time, right? Just as the uh, Mary is at the fullness of her labor, of her, uh, not labor, well, it's time for her labor, of her pregnancy, right? It's the time, it's complete, the hour, the time. Um, so it is, actually, all history has been working towards this moment, <laughs> right here in Luke 2. So it's beautiful. What's important about calling Jesus, um, there in verse 7, the firstborn, the firstborn. What is it about the firstborn? Again, here you want to pull the scriptures into mind. For example, Exodus 11. Uh, Moses said, right, so this is uh, the last plague. Then Moses said, thus says the Lord, about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sits on his throne, even to the firstborn of uh, the female servant who is behind the handmill, and all the firstborn of the animals. Then there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as was not like it before and shall not be like it again. But against none of the children of Israel shall a dog move its tongue, against man or beast, that you know that the Lord does not make a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. All right. The dog not move its tongue. That's an interesting expression. All right, so, and then later on, of course, then they have the Passover, and then in 13, so after the Passover um, is given, then this is what Moses writes, chapter 13, verse 2, or verse 1 and 2, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both man of beast and beast is mine. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and to your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? Then you shall say to him, quote, By the strength of, of the hand of the Lord who brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Then it came to pass, when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand, it has a front let up between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. All right, so this is about 
recognizing the firstborn and redeeming the firstborn, uh, which we'll do at the presentation, right? That's the, another feast of Mary, uh, really of Jesus, too. Uh, feasts of Mary are always feasts of Jesus, ironically, or not ironically. Um, the firstborn, recognizing the firstborn, is to remember how God delivered the people out of Egypt, right? So just as all the firstborn of Pharaoh and of all uh, Pharaoh's uh, animals died, you know, as a plague, as a curse against them, so we have the firstborn being redeemed, right? And so we make, you know, the people would make sacrifice for the firstborn in order to remember how God spared the firstborn through the Passover, right? So there's more to it than that, of course. The firstborn who opened the womb then were consecrated for the Lord's service, and they had to be redeemed from death by the blood of the animal, the sacrifice. So how does this relate to Jesus, of course? Jesus is the firstborn, <laughs> the eternal firstborn, who died in actually all man's place for the redemption of everyone. All right. Why do we need to hear the words, for unto us is born, or what does it say here? Oh yeah, firstborn son. Son, why, why the importance of the, of the language of son? All right, so here we go back to the promise in Genesis 3.15. Right, that by your, your seed, now the, the serpent's head would be crushed, right? So Adam had been told, Adam and Eve both been told about the birth of a male offspring, firstborn, that would be their savior. Um, we see this actually play out, that they knew this promise and they were living in this promise in Genesis 21 as well with Isaac, all right? So here's his birth. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the, at the set time, the appointed time, of which God had spoken to him. All right. So Adam had been told about the birth of male to be the savior, so the birth of Isaac to Abraham and Sarah also anticipated the promised birth of a son. Yeah, there is so much to, um, uh, to remember and tie together. I see that in the chat as far as the firstborn and how God delivered his people. Um, I'll give you a, something that I hadn't actually recognized before uh, that happened to me the other day. I was hearing... I don't know what the context was, if it was on television. I, I know it was on television, if it was a YouTube video or something like that. They were talking, oh, it was a television program, a fictional show, but um, one of the characters uh, was a Jew, and not by birth, but uh, his mother was Jew and raised him as a Jew. And, well, yeah, I mean, then by birth, I suppose. Oh, no, actually, he was adopted, right? So through adoption on the show. Um, but he was recalling when he was a child and how they would remember the Exodus at the beginning of their Passover celebration, right? Now, we have a similar uh, service that's now given to us. It's been in the last couple of hymnals for us. It's called the, the Easter Vigil, right? And it's called the Easter Vigil, but we actually begin that service in the same way that the Passover remembrance um, is remembered uh, even by modern, you know, uh, faithful Jews. And it has the same kind of language. I noticed this as they were going through uh, the motions on the television program, you know, as he rec recalled being a young person um, celebrating the Passover. Like, those words sound just like what we do at the Easter Vigil. And uh, I don't have the vigil text in front of me. It's only in the big book, and then we have to print it out or put it on the screen. But um, it, it's basically this idea that we're gathered here this night to recall 
God's saving actions of, of us from, and we do this all the way from creation, the promise, through uh, the exodus, the wilderness wandering, and into the promised land. And anywhere from four to, I think, 11 or seven readings, I can't remember. Uh, four is kind of the minimum uh, appointed, and then there's, there's more readings. I usually do the like hour-long version of the readings, which takes a little while and forces you to be a little patient. But, you know, in the midst of all the hustle and bustle of uh, the Easter season, it's nice to just take a break. Um, actually, you could probably, yeah, you could go back and watch the vigil. Uh, we did it streaming from here from our house because we were under lockdown then. And uh, you can watch that on our YouTube channel. It's probably easy to find there if you search for vigil on our, on our channel. All right. So, yeah. Good comment. All right, so what two things did Mary do for her son, firstborn son there in verse 7? Two things. Wrapped him in swaddling claws and laid him in a manger. Okay, now why, why a manger? All right, that's a feed trough, right? Um, usually in their case, it was like maybe a slab and maybe had a groove in it that they, the grain would um, sit in. But commonly it was just a stone slab that they would put the, the grain upon, right? And then... Uh, why is that? Because, of course, we're in Bethlehem, and who is Jesus? He's the bread of life, right? Uh, what about cloths? When will we be wrapped, be wrapped by cloths again? And again, this is pointing to his, uh, his suffering and death, his crucifixion, namely his burial, right? In John 19, you can see that. And, of course, in John 19, he's wrapped in cloths, and he's laid in, not a manger, but in a tomb, in a new tomb, hewn from the stone, right? So, again, a stone slab. That's why... Uh, the manger scenes with the wooden mangers, it's fine, but you miss the connection then if you don't understand um, that they would, they would actually use a stone slab to feed the animals and also to lay the dead upon um, as they would decay for their year or so after their death, and then their bones would be uh, put in an ossuary after that. All right. Uh, when is Christ laying upon a stone slab today? At least commonly. Not in our case, not at uh, St. John, maybe at your congregation. Often the altar then is made out of stone, right? And it'd be a stone slab. So it's to make those connections. Uh, wood's fine, of course, a wood table, but uh, traditionally it would, be a, it would be a stone altar. And that's the reason for that, even though that's quite expensive, etc. So we have then the connection between him laying in the manger, laying in the tomb, and now laying upon the altar in his body and blood in the sacrament um, for us. Good. Meditation on this text. The story of Jesus' birth is an historic and theological account of God coming in the flesh to feed his people. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, to be the bread of life. He was wrapped up in cloths as he would be wrapped up at his death. He was laid upon the stone manger as he would be placed upon the stone slab of the tomb. Yet, as the Western Church would say, the wood of the manger became the wood of the cross. All right, so wood manger works, right? The one who came to die for us and once was laid in the manger now lies upon the manger of the altars of his church that we might be fed and live. The word for room in the inn is the same word used to describe the room in which he would institute the feast of his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins, the upper room, right? This little child was born to be the victim and the priest, that is to offer the sacrifice of his own body and blood, that death would pass over us as it did when the firstborn sons of Israel were spared. The claws in which he was wrapped remind us that he is still wrapped up and hidden in the claws of Holy Scripture. 
that only those who believe his word may truly confess him to be the Son of God. Excellent. Let's confess the fifth petition and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. What does this mean? We pray in this petition that our Father in heaven would not look at our sins or deny our prayer because of them. We are neither worthy of the things for which we pray, nor have we deserved them. But we ask that he would give them all to us by grace, for we daily sin much and surely deserve nothing but punishment. So we too will sincerely forgive and gladly do good to those who sin against us. And the sixth petition, lead us not into temptation. What does this mean? God tempts no one. We pray in this petition that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, lead us out of temptation, guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Although we are attacked by these things, we pray that we may finally overcome them and win the victory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I don't know if I explained that, but um, the prayers on the petitions or the prayers on the catechism is to teach you how to pray the catechism. Not simply uh, recite it, although that's helpful, but to then weave it into your prayers. All right, so try to model that for you. We continue with prayer. On this Tuesday, we pray for deliverance against temptation and evil, for the addicted and despairing, for the tortured and oppressed, and for those struggling with sin. We pray that the Lord give to all peoples concord and peace, that he preserve our land from all discord and strife, that he give to our country his protection in every time of need, that he direct and defend our president and all in authority, that he bless and protect our magistrates and all our people. We pray in thanksgiving with Susan and Ken uh, for their recovery from COVID-19. Pray for those who are ill, receiving treatment or recovering, especially Marcella, Jan, Kelsey, Ron, Reverend Herzog, Brad, Janet, and Timothy, Pastor Lindau, Sandy, Linda, Joan, Ken, Penny, and Roman and his family. Pray for those who are homebound, Bev, David, Willis, and Janice, and Mickey. And we pray for the missions and mercy work of the church, especially a place of refuge and Sheboygan County Hispanic Outreach. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Lord Jesus Christ, we implore you to hear our prayers and to lighten the darkness of our hearts by your gracious visitation. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God.
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right, we're going to sing our hymn. But uh, I don't think I've done class. No, I haven't. We haven't done prayer here at my home, so I'll have to get the audio ready, queued up here. So just give me one moment. Yes, greetings, Roman. I see you there. Lord be with you. All right, let's see, 346 is our hymn, right? They're all sitting here ready for me to go. Oh, there it is. Okay, let's copy it over. I'm at home, so it won't take too long to get it queued up. There it is. Let's sing. concludes our congregation prayer for today, December 15th, 2020. Glad to have you with us all here today. Uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, we'll be, uh, well, we'll prepare a little bit for our Advent midweek service. So I'll give you a preview of the evening in the morning, and we'll pray together then. Of course, in the evening, we'll have um, our service at 7 p.m., Sanctity of Life, but we'll be looking at the resurrection and the life everlasting in particular tomorrow from First Thessalonians. Uh, let's see, anything else? I don't think so. So yeah, try to stay warm. It's bitterly cold here today, and um, actually I need to roast some coffee later today. <laughs> so I'm not looking forward to that, because uh, it'll be kind of cold. But uh, so it is. It's that time of year. You're welcome, everyone, and we'll see you again tomorrow. <laughs>